KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Anna Kukulberg. It's Monday, November 1st. The VA is preventing veterans from getting treatment at other hospitals. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. U.S. Customs and Border Protection say one person died and 13 people were pulled from the Pacific Ocean after attempting to swim around the barrier in San Diego. That's according to a statement the agency issued on Saturday. CPB says U.S. border agents were notified on Friday night of about 70 people trying to swim from Tijuana to the U.S. Border Patrol agents took about 36 people into custody, including those pulled from the water by the U.S. Coast Guard. The city of San Diego is redrawing the lines for city council districts. A population boom in the northern coastal region of the city means there will be significant changes in some council boundaries. And some of those proposed changes are drawing criticism. Community leaders in Claremont are seeing their neighborhood divided up into four different districts. Here's San Diego Union-Tribune reporter David Garrick. If your community is divided among four city council districts, then you have four city council people to talk to. Neither one of them cares all that much about you because you're only a small sliver of their district. So it just sort of dilutes the power and influence and the lobbying ability that the community would have. The San Diego Redistricting Committee will make a final decision on new district lines when they vote on December 15th. We've arrived at the end of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and the family and friends of cancer survivors have had a chance to reflect on how to best support their loved ones. Dr. Carrie Constantini is a breast medical oncologist with Scripps MD Anderson Cancer Center. She believes it's time for those impacted by breast cancer to ask for support. Also understanding that they're not alone in these feelings and they should reach out to other trusted support. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. An iNewsource investigation has found that the VA is preventing veterans from getting treatment outside of its hospitals. Here's iNewsource reporter Jill Castellano to share what she's uncovered in the first part of her two-part series. On a sunny afternoon in August, Navy veteran Christine Russell walked around her church in northern San Diego County. This is St. Michael's by the Sea. It's an Orthodox Episcopalian church. Russell started coming here in 2016, around the time she first felt unbearable pain in her body. 
That year, she went to the emergency room more than a dozen times. Every time I went to the ER, they kept insinuating that uh, my chest pain was psychosomatic, that it was um, anxiety, and that it was depression, and it was not. Because she's a veteran, Russell gets her health care through the San Diego VA. She says doctors there misdiagnosed her symptoms for almost three years. Finally, in late 2018, she was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. That's when the VA agreed to send Russell to experts at other hospitals. Having my doctor in the community allows me to have other options through other windows and doors that I wouldn't have if my cancer doctor was in the VA hospital. Then, in February of this year, Russell got a letter from the San Diego VA saying it would no longer pay for her treatments. She was already $30,000 in medical debt, so she couldn't afford the treatment if the VA didn't pay for it. It's like they cut my legs off, basically. You know, they cut off my lifelines because all those doctors are my integrative support team. They are why I'm still alive. Russell is not the only one. An iNews source investigation has found that across the country, VA administrators are overruling doctors and preventing them from sending patients outside its hospitals. These efforts have ramped up following a 2018 landmark law called the Mission Act. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. When the law was passed, President Donald Trump and Congress said it would ensure veterans have access to the health care they need. If the VA can't provide high-quality treatment in a timely manner, they'll pay for the veteran to go somewhere else. Why can't they just go see a doctor instead of standing on line for weeks and weeks and weeks? Now they can go see a doctor. It's going to be great. But the Mission Act has cost the VA billions of dollars. So starting in 2019, the VA created new rules that are supposed to save money and keep veterans inside the health care system. Here's Dr. Kathleen Kim, the chief of staff of the San Diego VA. Because of the nature of the Mission Act, the VA is sending a lot of care into the community, and we're worried that we're not going to be able to pay our bills. Kim defended the VA, saying treatment plans are still based on veterans' medical needs. She explained that it's often better for patients to get their care at the VA, so there are no problems coordinating paperwork or treatment plans with other hospitals. But experts and advocates say the VA could be preventing veterans from getting much-needed medical care. It basically defeats the whole purpose of the Mission Act and why we set up the criteria. That's Darren Selnick, who helped write the Mission Act. We're in Oceanside at the Veterans Association of North County, and he has keepsakes from his time working on the law laid out in front of us. Military stuff. What is that exactly? Scorecard. Red, yellow, green. Are we in progress? So when I implemented the Mission Act, I developed the scorecard, and then I rated everybody. And they all thought they were green until I came in, and then they're all red and yellow. Selnick says medical decisions should be left to patients and their doctors, not administrators. So it's, it's ludicrous to, to have anyone else review and say that the referring clinician who's working with the patient doesn't know best. It's just ludicrous. As for Christine Russell, when the VA sent her that letter cutting off her cancer treatments, the decision was made by a group of people she had never met before. Were these people in communication with you about your care on a regular basis? No. No, they were not. None of them. 
But they were making the decisions. Yes. How does that feel? Horrible. After a lot of angry phone calls, Russell was able to restart her treatments outside the VA. But it hasn't been a smooth process. She recently got this voicemail from her VA primary care doctor. Hi, this is a VA in Oceanside calling from Dr. Krubenar's office. Russell's doctor tried to send her to three specialists outside the VA, but the requests were not approved. It wasn't approved because they didn't approve the community care. Russell is still fighting for her medical care. Every day is a physical and mental challenge. You know, I have my psychologist and my psychiatrist, but that's not enough. What I have is Jesus. On difficult days, Russell turns to her church's music for comfort. And that was iNewsource investigative reporter Jill Castellano. Tomorrow, we'll bring you part two of this investigation. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Community advocates and faith leaders are hosting vigils across California for lives lost in immigration detention centers. KPBS reporter Melissa May tells us about the vigil in San Diego. Let them know that we're here and we remember them. Dia de los Muertos is Monday, November 1st. Ahead of the holiday, community groups are hosting vigils to remember those who passed while in an immigration and customs enforcement detention facility. We want to use the opportunity uh, to bring awareness to the community and uh, remind them that uh, sadly, COVID-19 had horrific uh, consequences at these facilities. Adriana Hasso is the program coordinator for the American Friends Service Committee in San Diego. Her group held its own vigil at the Otay Mesa Detention Center on Thursday. A detainee at Otay Mesa was the first to die of COVID-19 in an immigration detention center. That was in May of 2020. To honor Carlos's life. Hasso says the vigils are meant to provide healing for everyone. If they want to remember someone who passed in their family, we know that COVID-2020 uh, and 2021 has devastated uh, some local uh, local families in overall or county. So we are also opening it up to the community. A virtual vigil is also planned and will include family members who lost a loved one while in custody. The vigil that will be happen- happening on November 1st, on Monday, is an opportunity for people from other places, from other communities, um, to come and learn about um what uh, the impact that it mean, the impact that it has had on some of the families that have lost a loved one. We reached out to CoreCivic, the company that runs the Otay Mesa Detention Center. They sent us a statement saying, our heartfelt sympathy goes out to anyone who's lost a loved one. The health and safety of the people entrusted in our care and our dedicated staff is our top priority. The vigils come a week after 24 members of Congress, all from California, sent a letter to the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, urging the closure of three detention facilities in the state. And that was KPBS's Melissa May. As wildfires continue to burn longer and impact millions of acres of California land each year, the federal government is working on legislation aimed at helping to suppress the fires before they start. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. 
Two bills introduced in the House deal with the pay and job classification of federal wildland firefighters. One from Bay Area Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren would raise the max out limit on overtime pay for these firefighters. She spoke about the importance of the bill during a congressional hearing yesterday. In California, most of the fires burning are on federal land and the overtime pay cap for federal wildlife land firefighters is a significant hurdle. The other bill would increase pay for federal wildland firefighters and also provide critical services like health care, including mental health, along with a housing stipend. Kelly Martin, president of the advocacy group Grassroots Wildland Firefighters, testified during the hearing. We are often the lowest paid people on the fire line in terms of uh, working next to some of our state partners and some of the municipal firefighters as well. So what we're asking for is at least a review of the pay parity. Wildland firefighters have said pay is one of the main reasons why so many of them are leaving for other jobs. In fact, firefighters working for a Cal Fire can often make more than double the amount wildland crew members make. And that was Keith Mizuguchi with the California Report. Coming up, members of a black family in Sacramento would go and visit a property they say used to be theirs. Uh, my grandfather's brother that could no longer talk, he would just point and cry. And now as an adult, piecing this history together, I, I get why he was crying. We'll hear the story of how one family is trying to get back some land they lost and what it means for the discussion about reparations for African-Americans. That's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. The state of California is grappling with a racist past and is considering the possibility of reparations for black descendants of slaves. There's a new task force studying this issue, and families are coming forward to share their experiences. CAP Radio's race and equity reporter Sarah Mises Tan has the story of one black Sacramento family and their fight to write history. Out along a wooded road off Highway 49 in the gold rush town of Coloma stands a boarded up building. So right now we're standing in front of the Coloma Emanuel Church here in the town of Coloma. I'm out here with Jonathan Burgess. The church may look run down, but to him and his family, it means a lot more. Burgess dug deep into family documents and old deeds. Now he and his family believe that this church, as well as much of the land surrounding it, was once owned by his great-great-grandfather. That is, until he says it was taken, using eminent domain by the state of California and made into a park. As a kid, I remember coming up here. It was just dusty roads, is my memory. And an older, you know, uh, you know, uncle, that my grandfather's brother, that could no longer talk. He would just point and cry. And now, as an adult, piecing this history together, I, I get why he was crying. Burgess is trying to make a legal case to get his land back. There are others doing the same. This is happening as California grapples with its legacy of oppression of people of color, in particular African Americans. The state has created a reparations task force to discuss how it might begin to apologize and make up for discriminatory policies and actions. 
Javon Scott Lewis is a geography professor at UC Berkeley and part of the state's task force. He says in order for California to grow into the state it is today, it had to take land from people of color. You still, you know, have a need to develop in largely already populated places. And so the only way that you can do that is through the removal of people, right, of communities, of landholders who, you know, to put it bluntly, are in the way. He says eminent domain was applied unequally, in particular to African-American communities that may not have had the power or money to resist. And the taking of this land has impacted generations of Californians. It is the interruption of intergenerational wealth, especially African-American communities who've had to, who've had to give up their land. You know, what you have is also an interruption to the stability of community development. So with that... Let's sign this bill and turn this property over. That's the sound of an event with Governor Gavin Newsom earlier this year. He enacted a new law and officially returned a strip of coastline back to an African-American family in Los Angeles. This case, called Bruce's Beach, has now become a landmark. For the descendants of the Bruce family, but for all of those families torn asunder because of racism all across this country. Kevon Ward helped lead the Bruce's Beach effort with her organization, Where Is My Land? So many people are expecting for Bruce's Beach to be the blueprint. Now she's been asked to help other families do the same, but she says the path is not easy. What people don't understand is that the alignment was there, right? The right people in the state assembly, the right people in the state senate, the right people in the county were there. I do believe that we will have success in other cases. We just have to figure out what that alignment looks like. For Jonathan Burgess and his family, he hopes that public advocacy and education about his family's legacy in Coloma can eventually spur lawmakers to similar action. For now, his family has contacted a law firm to help them gather documents for their case. And he's testified before the state's reparations committee to share his story. He hopes his family will see the return of the property and the renovation of the church soon. And that was reporting from CAP Radio's race and equity reporter, Sarah Mises Tan. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.